about the Word tonight. Uh, with it being the last evening service, I wanted to wrap up what we've been talking about. And, you know, we've been spending, gosh, probably close to 10 weeks now talking about the body of Christ, talking about the church. And it's been exciting. It's been good. Has it been good? Those of you that have been here, um, I do want to say this. I want to uh, welcome Kelly and Caleb Freeman with us this evening. You guys know Kelly. You guys know Kelly coming up all those times on Sunday evenings with our worship team and um, showing herself faithful there. She's worked with us for, golly, several years now in children's ministry, uh, doing worship. You're doing sign language now as well. So she's just a jack of all trades. And then Caleb working with our youth, playing guitar uh, in the youth group uh, with our children. And their parents also serve uh, faithfully, very faithfully with us down there. So it's exciting to have them with us. Made the drive up. And um, so it's good to have you all with us. So let's get into this. We're talking about building the church. Um, Again, just for the sake of review, we began talking about the body of Christ and how Paul himself relates the church to a body. Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he gives very specific scenarios of how a church is to look like a human body, um, which makes it very easy for us because now when we want to talk about the church, we want to know what a church is supposed to look like, we don't have to go any further than ourselves. We can look it out. We have a head, and the head sends down uh, orders and commands, and the body operates depending on that, and the body uh, brings itself provision. It's its own resource. Um, It's aiding itself. It's accomplishing one goal as one unit with many members. And so this is how the church is to look. Um, Everything that you can see about the body um, is supposed to be working within the church. And remember we said this, that a lot of churches today are operating as uh, very dysfunctional bodies. And if human bodies operated the way some churches operate today, we'd have some funky-looking people running around. Um, But we want to learn about Jesus' church, his church. Matthew chapter 16, we saw uh, Matthew 16, verse 18. Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. He's trying to identify who are people saying that I am. They give their says, who do you say that I am? And Peter steps up, you know, being the bold one in the group, and gives his take on it. Jesus says, you didn't figure that out on your own. You didn't didn't know this on your own. The Holy Spirit has revealed this to you. My Father has revealed this to you. And because of this revelation on you, I will build my church upon that revelation, that I am the Son of God revealed by the Holy Spirit. That is what he's building his church on. And so we saw that, and we saw um, that Jesus said a few things. First, he said, I will build my church. So he's not delegating that out to anybody. Uh, I am not building this church. I I have been delegated an assignment by God himself, by the Father, and he has placed me in a position just as he places all of us in positions. But Jesus is the one who's specifically handling the building of his church, the putting together of his church. The second word we looked at was the word build, which means that there's a design that's taking place. There's a, a, a process that's happening to put this thing together. When you build something, you build it for a purpose. Nobody just builds a house just to look at it. You build a house to live in or to do things in or, or whatever. 
Uh, so we looked at that, and then we looked at my church, that it's Jesus' church, which quickly identifies to us that there are some churches that aren't his church. And we're not about building anything but his church. So we spent, you know, a few weeks talking about that, talking about the church as a body. In the last several weeks, we've been looking at the actual process of building the church, and that's what we're talking about now. First, we saw that every building must first have a foundation, must be built upon something. And if the foundation goes wrong, the rest of the building goes wrong. As the foundation goes, so goes the building. So we saw, first of all, that the foundation we're to be built upon is the Word of God revealed by the Holy Spirit. Uh, There's plenty of Word of God where people have their opinions or takes on it, but I want the Word of God revealed by the Holy Spirit. I want to know the Word. When Jesus said that upon this rock I will build my church, what was he saying? He was saying the word that you have received that you didn't come up with on your own. Remember he told Peter that. He said you didn't discern this on your own. My spirit, uh, my father has revealed to you, has revealed this to you, this truth. And so we saw that's the foundation. The second thing we looked at was the structure of the church and how once the building is up, The actual builder is no longer needed to be in place to hold the thing up. The church is meant to build itself. And so we took a look at the edification and the encouragement of its members in building up the church. In love is what Ephesians uh, chapter 4 says. So we looked at this structure and how when we come to church, we ought to be encouraged. We ought to be edifying each other. This shouldn't be a place of being put down. This shouldn't be a place of... Uh, feeling terrible about yourself, this should be a place where you feel excited about who you are and go back out into the workplace and in your lives and your communities and being able to change from there. Um, So that's the structure of the church. And then last week, um, we took a look at, just had a brain freeze, where are we at? Where are we at last week? Last week, we talked about, uh, I'm so in tune with what we're talking about today. Um, I don't even remember what we talked about last week, but it was good. <laughs> Apparently, I need to go back and get the CD, but I know it was good. Um, and you get the CD, too. Um, <laughs> no, no, that was on Wednesday. Um, last week? What was last week? I want to know what was last Get set. Getting in. That's right. Get set. Get set. There we go. Got the title and everything. Got the title. You know why? Because I'm getting so used to having all this media stuff up that if I don't have it up now, I don't know what I'm talking about. Get set. That's right. We talked about getting set in the body and talking about restoring each other. And whose responsibility was it to restore? We have the responsibility to restore each other. We saw in Galatians chapter 6 where he says if someone has committed a sin or you see someone in sin or a trespass, you go to them and you bring it up, you who are righteous. So first we must examine ourselves, but we have the responsibility of restoring each other. There's, there shouldn't be any uh, gossip. There shouldn't be any, can you believe what they're doing? It should be, look, I've kind of seen this happening lately, and, you know, I, I think that we need to get it right. And in love, to restore the person. Remember, we talked about restoring and getting them back into that original place that they were and not just watching someone falter or going to other people and saying, you know, look at what they're doing. 
obviously we saw that the pastor has this responsibility as well um, over his members, over the flock that he's shepherding, uh, to be watching for his members and guiding, guarding, and protecting the flock. And so that's what we talked about last week, getting set. Because if any part of this building were to get out of joint, if any part of your body were to get out of joint, remember I talked about my broken finger, and when that got out of joint, we had to set it back in place. Why? So we can grow back. It's not so we, we don't cut it off, we don't get rid of it. Uh, if there's disqualification or if it continues to hinder the rest of the body, we will. Uh, you know, if you have an infection in part of your body and you can't get the infection out in time, you take that part out. Why? To save the whole body. But we don't ever want to get that far. Our first goal is to restore someone back in their position and get them back. So that's what we talked about last week. This week we're going to wrap up, and I'm real excited about this. And, and I'll tell you right now, I don't have any problem discussing this at all. And tonight we're going to talk about the role of the pastor. Because it's very important to understand what the pastor's role is in the church. Um, in this day and age, you've heard me say it before, but in this day and age, leadership is looked down upon. Leadership is uh, not held with a regard that it should be. And this type of mentality and thought process has carried over into the church. This mentality has come over to where we don't uh, appreciate leadership, we don't submit to leadership, and um, we come into church thinking we can do our own thing, and the leadership has no say, and they can't really direct me or guide me, especially in the sense that, you know, it's bad enough at your job where you're actually being paid, and, you know, most people go to their jobs and they just submit at the lowest level possible. There's no going over and beyond. There's, you know, you're trying to cut corners and you're just trying to get the, you know, bare essentials done. But, and this is the world's mentality. But when that comes into the church, it becomes even worse because people don't see uh, wages in the church. The Lord is very clear that when you work in the church, you work as unto him. You know, I used to tell our children's workers a lot of times, you might not walk away and have, you know, 18 five-year-old kids come up and give you a big hug and say, thank you so much for preaching to me today. Your word was awesome. You won't see that. The pastor might not give you a paycheck at the end, but who are you working for? The Lord. So who has your reward? The Lord. And so visually speaking, we don't see that a lot. So sometimes submission goes out the window and um, we don't revere and, and look up to our pastors as we ought to. Um, so it's very important. It, it, if the pastor's not going to talk about it, then who's going to talk about it? Um, so it, it's a very important subject to me, and so I'm excited about getting into it. Let's start with First Peter. First Peter chapter 5. <clears throat> I'm going to start with First Peter chapter 5, and... Verse 1. And this is obviously Peter talking. And he is talking to elders of the church. Now, just right off the bat, elders were the ones that were assigned uh, the position of guarding the flock, ministering to the flock, guiding the flock. They are essentially what we would call a pastor today. So look what he says here, chapter 5, verse 1 says, The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who 
am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock which is among you, serving as overseers. So it's a position of serving. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does, now, that does not fade away. Now, there's a lot here. First off, we got to remember, whose church is it? Jesus' church. He said, I will build my church. So the church belongs to him. And this chief shepherd that we just saw is Jesus. We know that he, he said himself, I am the good shepherd. And we'll see this verse later on. But what he has done, since he is in sole authority and sole possession of the flock in the church, he has the ability to delegate responsibilities in the church. And in this, he has delegated a responsibility of oversight. The pastor is a level of oversight. So let's look at a few things here in this passage. <clears throat> Starting with verse 2, it says, Shepherd the flock of who? Of God, which is among you, serving as overseers. This position of overseeing is a position of servanthood. Just as much as any other position or assignment within the body. See, sometimes we get this picture that the pastors are up on a level and they're not so much serving. They're being served. But that's just not the case. Um, we know this about Jesus. Jesus came as a servant and did he serve while he was on the earth. But he was a king. And he was just as worthy of being served as anybody else. But he put himself in the position of servanthood or serving people. So the first thing we see here is that an overseer is a serving position. Not by compulsion, not because you have to, but willingly because you want to. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those, look at this, entrusted to you. That, mean that, that means that someone has placed you in a position and entrusted the oversight of the flock to you. Someone has given you the responsibility to oversee this flock and entrusted. There's trust placed upon you to what? Do it as they would do it. See, if I give, some, if I give someone a job and just tell them to do it however they want to do it, there's not a lot of entrusting going on. I'm giving them free reign. But if I say, this is what I want you to do, and I want you to do it the way I would do it, how I would run it, then I'm entrusting to them. I'm trusting that they're going to do exactly what they've seen me do. Okay? So that's where that trust comes in. Over those entrusted to you, being examples to the flock. The pastor, the number one way the pastor is to lead a flock is by example. That means that you should be able to look to your pastor and see the right way to do something. See the right way something should be done. That's the number one way. 
Your pastor ought to be an example of that. And when the chief shepherd, when Jesus shows up, you will receive the crown of glory. So there is a crown just as with all the other positions. There is a reward for every position. And just as there is a reward for every other position, there is a reward for the pastoral position, for the elder position. Now here's what's exciting to look at. Obviously we're talking to Peter. We're talking here to Peter. And Jesus had a conversation with Peter back in John. John chapter 21. So let's look over there. This is after Jesus had been raised from the dead. And we know what Peter just did before Jesus died. He denied him three times. Okay? But remember that Jesus had a conversation with him in Matthew chapter 16 and said that upon this rock I'm going to build my church. And he's having this conversation with Peter himself. So we already know that Peter's going to have some role to play. But Jesus has a conversation with Peter. John chapter 21. We'll start with verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. Then he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So this is the conversation that Jesus is having with Peter here at the end. And he is specifically doing what? Delegating the responsibility of taking care of the flock. Now notice every single time Jesus used the words, my. So he is very clearly stating that the flock belongs to who? Jesus himself. It is his flock. It is his uh, sheep that he is asking Peter to tend, feed. The word tend simply means to care for. To tend simply means to care for. It also means to guard or protect. These are responsibilities of the pastor. So when Peter has this, makes this statement over in 2 Peter chapter 5, he's essentially repeating what Jesus has already assigned to him. He's saying, just as Jesus assigned to me his flock and to tend it, feed it, guard it, protect it, care for it, I need you to do the same. And he is handing over that assignment, that role. Okay? So this position has been delegated. So whose flock is it? God's. Jesus's. But since it is his flock, he has the responsibility or the ability to delegate that responsibility out of guarding 
the flock, taking care of it. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We never lose sight that we are taking care of something that belongs to Jesus. And as a pastor, again, we've already seen that the pastor isn't building the church. Jesus is building the church. The church doesn't belong to the pastor, but the pastor does have a role to play in guarding and taking care of the flock. And look at this. This is why. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So that's not a holding up, that's a helping to be able to do. For the work of ministry, that's one. Two, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the building up and the encouraging of the body of Christ. That's why this position has been assigned. Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ. That's another reason. The growing up of the church. Another reason. Verse 14. We should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up, there it is again, in all things, into him who is the head, Christ, from, the whole, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So right there, there is a long list of why the fivefold ministry is in the church. And specifically, this is why the pastor role is here. A real pastor will not just try to hold up his members, but he will equip and empower his people to do the work of the ministry. I tell you right now, as a pastor, there can be no fear of job security. You know, I remember when I worked uh, out, you know, in the in um, in the secular world, a secular job. Um, I worked at a bank, and there was some job security stuff going on. I mean, at the time that I worked there, it was, you know, recession time. Uh, you know, banks are being shut down. You're going with minimal staff. And, you know, I remember, uh, not me myself, because I was never in fear of any of that stuff, but if a new person came on, uh, there were some people that they didn't want to share all the information. Why? Because the second you show someone else how to do your job, you become disposable. But we know this, we've already seen this, that who assigns people in the body of Christ? The Lord. And remember we saw last week that if he assigns you, then who has the right to pull you out? The Lord. Or you can disqualify yourself. But there is no fear of anyone ever trying to come in and remove a position. We already said with the members... Doesn't matter where you work, doesn't matter where you serve, doesn't matter if you're on the worship team, your children's staff, 
it can never get so big that you can be disposed of unless God requires you to be somewhere else and in another position. This is nothing we ever have to fear. But there are pastors that they don't want to train up and equip because they want they want to be the one that people call when someone's going to the hospital. They want to be that someone calls on when a marriage is in trouble instead of teaching someone how to walk in their own healing. The greatest thing for me is if you can be in your living room coming down with something and pray and rebuke it off of you and it leave you. That's the greatest testimony to me. You know, um, down in St. Augustine, you know, pastor would just get so excited, uh, you know, because people get, you know, real excited when they see, you know, miracles happening and you got a healing line up front and people are just, you know, being healed left and right. But pastor says, you know, it's exciting to me when someone comes and says, man, yesterday I had the worst headache, but I just started praying and it left. That is even more awesome to a pastor. Why? Because now that tells me you're getting what I'm saying. You're exercising it. You're not having to call me in the middle of the night because you're in the hospital. You're not having uh, to call me because you don't know where your husband or your wife is and they just ran out on you. You don't have to call me because your kids just got in some serious trouble and you want me to talk to them. You were able to talk to them and exercise the word. You were able to get healing and alignment. You were able to mend a marriage relationship. That's exciting. Now, I'm not saying I don't want to hear those things, but my greatest testimony is when I have trained up and grown up the body. The body has become mature enough to be able to handle those situations, to be able to change their thought process on their own, to be able to, to, to believe God with their husband for finances to come in, uh, to believe God that uh, everyone else is being laid off, but if that's where they're supposed to be, that they will sustain that job, to believe God for favor in the job. That would be the greatest thing. That's the most awesome thing. And the pastor does have an assignment to uh, be there for his body and be there for his members. Uh, but, man, it's exciting when you can just come to church and you get a testimony of what happened yesterday and you didn't have to get called upon. That's awesome. That's because the work of the pastor is happening to where he's equipping the saints for the work of ministry. You notice that there's equipping for the saints to do something. And not only, I mean, you know what else is exciting is when you come to church and you say, man, uh, this lady at work the other day, you know, she was just, she had, she was real sick, you know, feeling really bad. And I prayed with her and she got healed. That's the work of ministry. That's the work of serving. I heard someone this past week say something awesome about serving. Because um, he was doing, uh, at his church, they were doing a, a thing for the homeless um, just yesterday, actually, Saturday. And someone had mentioned to him, you know, what's the big deal with handing out sandwiches and, and, and ministering to the homeless and all this stuff? And he said, it's not about a sandwich. It's not about giving someone a pair of gloves. He said, ministry opens someone's heart to you. Ministry gives you entrance into someone's life. Because talk is cheap, and you can talk it all you want. But when you do something for somebody... Now you've got their attention. And if all I did was plant a seed that they'll remember a year from now, hey, that church gave me a pair of gloves, maybe I need to go visit, then you can get into their life, get the word in, because you're right, a sandwich ain't going to help you tonight. 
I'll feed you for lunch, but in six hours you're going to be hungry again. But what have I done? I have just planted a seed into their life that is the word, which is what's really going to get them out of their situation. Then I can minister the word to them, and they can come out of the cardboard box and get their own job and start fulfilling their purpose in their life. And I thought that was awesome. In fact, I called Pastor Marcus as soon as I heard it. I paused the thing, and I I called him up, and I said, man, you got to hear this, because he's head of Andrew Project down in St. Augustine doing all the outreach. And I said, you got to hear this, man. This is what we're doing. You know, because we're we're not a handout. not handing out stuff. I'm not, you know, come back tomorrow and get another one if you're hungry. I I want you to come back tomorrow and be able to go out and do something on your own. That's the true testimony, and that's what a real pastor will do. A pastor that is in fear of his job or in fear of his assignment and thinks he can be disposed of because someone knows how to do something, he will never be. He will never be fully equipped, and he will never fully equip his people. That's not a church. I'll tell you right now, that is not a church you want to be a part of, that they keep you always having to go into someone, and they always they keep you having to call somebody, keep you having to... Uh, I, I need to set another meeting, Pastor. I need to. I need another counseling session. I, I need to bring my wife in. My, I need you to talk to my kids again. I need you to pray for me with this and pray for me with that. That pastor that never empowers his people to be able to do those things on their own. We're going to look at that here. Look at this in John chapter ten. John chapter ten. That is not a position you want to be in. Because Jesus talks about these kind of people. There are some pastors, I'll tell you right now, that shouldn't be pastors. And it's not my job to go and judge and say who's who, but it becomes very clear and very evident if someone's in the position and they ought not to be. I tell you what, if a pastor is in this position for any kind of glamour and glitz and, and you know, looking good, uh, this ain't the job for that anyways. i tell you right now, the, the, the times, I mean, even as a children's pastor, I mean, you think, what could you really go through as a children's pastor? Went through some crazy stuff. I'm talking about, we went through some stuff with eight and nine-year-old kids that adults shouldn't even be doing. I'll tell you, the enemy is working hard to get them young. He's moving on down because he knows. The enemy, I think, sometimes has more clarity of what a child is capable of than some Christians. Because if parents had as much revelation as what their their children are capable of as the enemy does, they'd be having the word all up in them. And I'll tell you, the enemy's got his word all up in them. I mean, you watch Disney now, watch it, you know, with her nieces sometimes, they'll have it on. And you got kids that are supposed to be playing kids in school, and they're, going, they're at a restaurant on a date. Like, your parents had to drop you off, and your parents are picking you. I mean, it's ridiculous. You're supposed to be playing like a, you know, maybe a, a preteen, 11 or 12-year-old, and you're at a restaurant with a girl. Are you serious? How would you get there? How are you getting home? What? What is? I don't even understand that. That doesn't even make any sense. And they're what are they doing? They're portraying adult scenarios, and even teenage scenarios. 
And you think it gets bad when they're teenagers. The enemy is attacking young. I mean, you know, her niece is what, five, six years old? That Kindergarten, man. Kindergarten. And I'll tell you another area, I'll just go ahead and throw it out there, is time. You know, I'm excited. Trust me. I love iPads and iPhones and, and iPods and the whole bit, but they're time killers. They're time killers. They're time consumers. And if that's all that the enemy does is just buy at your time and burn up your time um, and get you. You know, I, I use an iPad to preach with, but I, you'll never see me without this up here. Never. If just for the simple fact that I continue to keep in front of you that I value this and I don't value that over this, because I tell you that is not going to replace this, Amen. the Word of God, okay? And I've got probably about 150 Bibles on that thing, but nothing will replace having the tangible book, something I can highlight and write in and, and all that. And, you know, there's some pastors that all they'll preach with is just an iPad or have an, I, an iPhone. I mean, they, they do it. But I want to keep in front of you that I still value the Word of God. But, you know, these, these iPads and these iPods, um, you know, I remember just last year, you know, you know we're, we're doing elementary, and you've got kids now. And I, I mean, I'm being faced with scenarios I never even had to be faced with before. What do you do with the kid that brings an iPad to church? I mean, and they want to use it as their Bible. Hmm. Man, I mean, I'm glad you're using it as your Bible, but what I'm saying is, is there's, there's just too much stuff. If I'm reading my Bible, there's nothing else. I mean, I can get distracted, I guess, with definitions in the back or maps or something. <laughs> I remember as a kid, you know, sitting in church and having my Bible, sometimes I go look at the maps and just look at maps. They're colorful. They're exciting. They look cool. But an iPad, man, I mean, you sit there and, and I'm, I'm reading my Bible and I'm thinking about a game that's on there or I'm thinking about surfing the web or it's like, there's just too much other stuff that can get me off of reading the Bible. And I would tell our kids that and I'd tell our parents that down there. Hey, you know, that's exciting that they want to bring their iPad and they want to use it as a Bible, but just know that it can quickly become a distraction but the biggest thing is it's just a time consumer. Just burn up your time. All these things were designed. And if the enemy can get your time, he's got everything. Oh, well, I don't have time to read the Bible. I was playing or I was reading or I was looking at. I mean, you know, I'm not even saying sinful stuff. I'm just saying it just takes your time. And now here we are. It's 10 o'clock at night, and I probably should have been reading my Bible for the last at least half hour or so and burned it up trying to beat a level on Angry Birds, you know? So, and I, hey, I'm an Angry Birds fan. I don't have it, and I've played, I played, I don't even know the last time I played it, but th- those things just kill your time. They can burn it up, okay? I don't know how I got off on that. <clears throat> Anyways, um, how did I get off on that? Was I going somewhere with that? John chapter 10. Let's go to John chapter 10. <laughs> Let's see if I find an iPad in John chapter 10. I don't know how I got on there. But we're going to look at verse 7. John 10, yep, verse 7. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. 
I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. He's talking about unity there. So, there's a lot in here. But the main thing I want to key on is the hireling. We were talking about those that are in positions that maybe ought not be in positions. And it becomes evident very quickly. He said the wolf comes in, troubles come, and where does he go? He flees. He's gone. You can't find him. Those are the pastors that they feel that God's reassigned them somewhere. Or they feel that God uh, has, has another assignment. Or they just leave because they weren't really in the fit as a pastor. They weren't really in that position and to take on that assignment. And when someone finds their right fit and gets in it, that's awesome. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you don't belong in children's and maybe you should be on the worship team. Great. Let's get you on the worship team. You know, if if you're just with the kids all the time and you're just grumbling and complaining and yelling and slapping them and, you know, just having a horrible time, you know, I mean, there's some people, you know, you want in children's ministry and then there's some people you don't want them in children's ministry. So let's find your fit. Oh, but I love the kids. I love being, no, you don't. I've seen you. And I don't, they don't love you either. They know when you're working and they tell, Mom, I want to stay in service with you today. I think I just want to stay out here in in big church. But, um, you know, it's all about getting in the right fit. And so there are some pastors, though, that are in this position. But as soon as trouble comes, as soon as the wolves come in, as soon as people start coming in with improper motives and, and wrong intentions for the church, then they start looking after themselves. And look what he said here. He said here, In verse 13, the hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. But he cares about something. He cares about something. Let me tell you what a hireling is. It is just what it sounds like. One that is hired for wages. Now that could be monetary or that could be just feed my ego and feed my pride. But when issues start coming up, you're probably going to have a hard time meeting with them. When uh, you're having a real trial in your life, he doesn't want any part of your trial. You keep your trial to yourself. And then when people start coming in and maybe division comes in or 
The people's problems become so big because he's not answering anybody's problems. He's only in for himself. He's seeking his own interests. Remember what uh, Paul told Timothy? He said, I've been looking for someone like you, like-minded, thinking the same way, knowing that I can put you in place of me, and you're going to look after the flock just as I would look, look after the flock. And you don't seek your own interests. There are pastors that seek their own interests. This is not a position to seek your own interests. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he did not seek his own interests. Now, the thing about delegation is when you delegate something, you want them to do it the way you would do it. So when Jesus delegates the responsibility of his flock, guarding, tending, keeping his flock, he wants them to do it the way he would do it. And that's why uh, Peter said the number one thing you need to do is be an example. Number one way you need to lead is be an example. Okay? So that's the pastor's number one position. But there are those that come that don't have interest. They don't have the best interest of the the church and the members at heart. It's only about their own interest. So we've taken a look at what a pastor looks like, what a pastor shouldn't look like. Let's look, oh, let's look over in Acts chapter 20. <clears throat> Acts chapter 20. And we're going to start with verse 17. I'm going to read verse 17, and then I'm going to skip on down further. But verse 17 lets you know who Paul is talking to. Verse 17 says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. So this shows us that everything after this, Paul is talking to the elders, or he's talking to the pastors. And so basically he's about to lay out some stipulations. He's about to lay out some responsibilities for pastors. Verse 25, let's skip down to verse 25. And indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Number one responsibility of a pastor is to preach the whole counsel. A pastor does not have the... Uh, authority to pick and choose what he wants to preach. I'm going to tell you right now, and I've said it before, that anything I refuse to minister on or any topic I refuse to tell you about in the Word and bring illumination to you is an area you will struggle. And I will see my people struggle. I will see this church struggle in areas that I refuse. So I will talk about marriages. I will talk about your kids. I will talk about your finances. Those top three right there are Three areas that, you know, most people are okay with the pastor until we hit on one of those three. So you start telling me how to operate my marriage and how to take care of my kids and how to operate with my finances, we're all right. But I will not refrain from any area. I will not hold back from anything. I will preach on marriage, divorce, remarriage, the whole bit. Why? Because Paul said, I am innocent of the blood of all men. Because I have not refused to hit topics in areas of the word of God that you need to know about. So that's the first one. The second one. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock 
among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So who's made them overseers? The Holy Spirit. Just as we saw in Romans chapter 12, just as we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we are placed in the body as it pleases him, as it pleases the Spirit. Has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this. After my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up, speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after themselves. That's someone that seeks their own interest. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone, night and day, with tears. Paul goes ahead and lets them know, look, I've been telling you about this for three years. You know, a lot of us, sometimes we get in a position where we get tired of hearing the same thing. But Paul had no problem bringing to remembrance that people will come in seeking their own interest, trying to pull the flock away, trying to get the attention off of the pastor and onto them. Right? Savage wolves. And they will spare nothing. He says there, that they won't spare the flock. So he says, therefore, watch and remember. The pastor has the responsibility to guard the flock from wolves. That means the pastor needs to have the discernibility to watch for those that come into the church with wrong intentions and wrong motives. I'm telling you right now, I'm not here to please people. I'm not here to make people happy. I'm not here because if there's someone that comes in here and their only intentions are to draw people away from me or from the flock, from what the word is saying, then their intentions are wrong. And the responsibility of the body is to notice those things and to see those things. But it is the pastor's responsibility to deal with it and to take care of it. And those that, you know, come in with wrong motives and wrong intentions, the pastor is to... Guard the flock from that. And Paul says it will happen. Jesus said it will happen. Peter said that it will happen. That these things will happen. <clears throat> okay? So that, those were some last um, admonitions that Paul had for the overseers of the church. Now let's look at this in Hebrews chapter 13. We've looked at the role and the assignment of the pastor. Now let's look at the member's response to the pastor. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey those who rule over you, and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give account, those who are accountable, let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. So he is, the author here is warning the members of the church that your leaders have been placed over you for a specific reason. They are watching over your souls. So your response is to be submissive. 
and to be in submission. If a pastor points out something in your life, he's doing it because he has your best interest at heart. We just saw that Peter said, do not lord over people. You're not trying to control people. You're trying to guide people by the word. I'm not ever going to grab someone by the neck and say, this is how we're supposed to do it. I will guide and say, this is it. Let's go this way. Let's, let's go this way. But I don't have the right to force anybody into those positions. But as a sheep in the fold, in the flock, you are to be submissive to the guidance and the leadership of pastors. That means that sometimes a pastor might say something that might not be very exciting to hear. I'm going to tell you right now, I thank God for pastors that told me stuff that I was not excited to hear. I thank God for the guidance and the shepherding that I received from pastors in my life. That when I was getting off, and I was enjoying it, having fun doing it, didn't want anybody to call me on it. They were bold enough to call me on it that kept me accountable in areas of my life and that got me back in alignment so I can move on with my purpose, knowing that if I kept going this way, I'm going to fall off the edge of a cliff. I'm going to hurt myself. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to disqualify myself. A pastor doesn't just tell people what they want to hear. I've always said that I don't want to preach what people want to hear. I want to preach what God wants me to say. And I'm going to tell you right now that there is something inside of you that wants to hear it. It's your spirit, man. Because we, like we've been saying, your spirit man is clued in on everything that God wants. And your spirit man's will is already lined up with the will of God. The problem is, is we've got to get our flesh in tune with that. The only part of you that doesn't like it is your flesh. But let's push past the flesh and let's say, you know what? I need to get that in alignment because my spirit knows. I mean, your spirit on the inside saying, yes, that's what we need. That's the guidance. That's the, that's the direction. That's the redirecting. That's the getting back on course. Your pastor can see things. Your pastor uh, is identified things. That doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's telling secrets to me. And I've always said this, that if the Holy Spirit is telling me something that needs to be dealt with, he's probably already been telling you. And we've probably been overriding that for a while. So now someone else is having to step in. God's taking that assigned pastor, that assignment, and saying, look, this is an area I've been dealing with them in. I need you to help correct them. I need you to help redirect them. I need you to help admonish them in this area, encourage them to get it right. Okay? So being submissive. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. You know what grief is to a pastor? is seeing someone that is unwilling to change. That's what grieves a pastor. And it's not because they won't listen to me. It's because the purpose and the assignment within your life is going to waste because we can't get back on track with this thing. It's all about restoring. And it's all about the gift. It's not about you're hurting my feelings because you won't do what I'm asking you to do. One, I'm asking you to do it because the Holy Spirit is asking me, and two, I'm asking you to do it because I know what you're capable of. I know what's inside of you. And what grieves a pastor is to see someone not make it back on course. That's probably the most grieving thing. And I've seen it happen. I've had it happen in our own ministry. Not here, obviously, but, uh, 
you know, in other positions. We've had people on staff that just couldn't correct it, just couldn't get it right. I mean, all I want is to see you fulfill your purpose. That's what we want. And that's not, that's not degrading. That's not, well, we don't care about you. We just care about what you do. But when you understand that you are what you do and you are the gift that you bring to the body, that is who you are, that's what you're made up of, then everything and every, uh, every thought process, everything you put your attention to, everything you strive for will push that one goal, that one assignment. If it's being in the worship team, then, man, I'm going to do everything in my life to be in the worship team. I'm not going to disqualify myself. I'm not going to be running around doing crazy stuff on the outside. I'm not going to be one person at church and one person in the world. I'm going to be everything I do out here is to prepare me. Everything I do out here is to keep me in this position because this is my fit. This is my call. And that's what the pastor's job is. His assignment is to keep you in that. His job is, is not just to call you on bad stuff and tell you what's right and tell you what's wrong. That, that's not why I'm here. That's why we don't have confessions. Because you confess that stuff to God. You don't even have to come to me with that stuff. Okay? I mean, I, I don't have a box set up up here where you go in one room and I go in the other and you can tell me all your confessions and it's just between me and you. We don't do that stuff. You can go straight to God with that stuff. So I'm not here to know about what you're doing wrong and what you're doing right. But when you come into a position, come into an assignment, now I'm in your life to keep you accountable. And what kind of shepherd would I be shepherding his flock if I just let you run around and graze in areas you shouldn't be grazing and running off and and doing things? You know, one of the biggest things the enemy tries to do is isolate people. If he can get you out by yourself, you're game. You're fair game for him. That's why you stay within the body. You stay within the unit. And that's what the shepherd tries to do. I don't want people going off getting all by themselves. I want them staying within the body and, and staying hooked up in the unit. We're, all, we're many members, but, you know, if my hand is detached from me, it's not serving its purpose at all. And now the rest of the body is struggling. We've been looking at that. So that's part of the pastor's role as well. And he wants to do his job. The pastor is to do his job with joy. It brings great joy to see people in their assignment. That's the greatest thing. You know, when we have new people come, I'm thinking, man, what is their assignment? What is their gift in the body? Because that's why they've been placed in my fold. That's why they've been placed under my care. It's so I can raise up and bring that gift to its full capacity. Okay? I think that's where we're at with the members. I just want to say a few things that as a pastor, one of the biggest things that members do, and this really goes for anything in life, but when one of the worst things we can do is view someone or put someone in a box based on a past experience. Um, if I have something shipped to me from UPS and it comes to me and it's broken because the driver mishandled it or didn't take care of it, is it wrong of me to put that on every other driver 
because this one person messed it up. Because this one person mishandled my product. Do I look at every UPS, can't, crazy UPS drivers, all they do is break stuff. <laughs> all they do is throw stuff around back there. I mean, he threw it on my doorstep. Didn't even care. No, I don't put that experience, that was one experience. I'm going to tell you right now that as your pastor, um, I'm not perfect, you know. I, I take to heart my assignment very seriously. And it is my assignment. But one of the biggest things is that people put on the pastor what they wouldn't expect the pastor to do to them. You know, and one of the first things, did you hear what the pastor did? I mean, I, I would hope if someone came to you and said something about me, that you would represent me in a way of, I don't know, that doesn't sound like my pastor. That doesn't sound like something he would do. And at the very least, come to the source and find out, is that a true statement? Because you know what? I wouldn't do that to anybody in this church. If somebody came to me and said, man, if you only knew that person five years ago, they were a mess. That person's in your church? Uh, They're going to tear your church up. You should have heard. You know what I would do? Really? I'm going to go have a talk with them. Uh, Man, I I can't believe it. I'm going to fire them right now. I'm going to get them out of my church. I don't even want them in my church. I'm going to tell them to leave. That would not be my response. My response would be, no, I don't know that person. I don't know that person. And I don't care if they tell me something you did earlier today. First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to the source and say, I heard this. Is this a true statement? And a lot of times pastors don't get that in response. You know, in today's day and age, um, it's funny to talk about leadership in a wrong way. It's funny to make fun of leadership. It's funny to look down on leadership. You know, it, this nation is never going to be happy with the president. I feel bad for the poor soul that enters that office because it don't matter who you are. It don't matter if you lower taxes, raise taxes, get a good health care plan, uh, get people out of war. It don't matter. One, you ain't going to make the paradise this place was supposed to be. So anything you do is a failed attempt at what God was already trying to put in place. And two, uh, that's just how fickle the world is i mean you know you watch jay leno and you watch these you know late night and they do a little stand-up thing and just about every single time there's something about a governor or a president or somebody in leadership doing something stupid or making fun of them or it don't matter they made fun of george bush they made fun of obama they made fun of bill clinton and you know you can't you can't be perfect and that's what this world does and it's funny. That's hilarious. I can't see. I can't wait to see what they're going to say about Obama tonight. I mean, that's just that's garbage. And so, you know, this stuff carries over in the church. The second thing is, is, uh, and I just said it. Don't view me through the lens of. I mean, people have been hurt in church. People have had terrible church experiences. People have had pastors that sought their own interests. People have had. Uh, areas where the pastor didn't want to use their gift, didn't want to utilize them, didn't want to, uh, you know, place no value on them, talked about them, suppressed them, didn't take care of their problems. I'm not that person. 
You know, Pastor Roy used to say something uh, when we first started the ministry, and he'd say, you know, I will be a better pastor in five years than I am today. And I carry that with me today. I will be a better pastor in five years than I am right now. There are things that I'll learn. There are things that I'll grow. And I hope that you'll grow with me as I'll grow with you. And I desire to see you grow up and desire to see you mature so we can be one unit and hooked up. And I hope that you have that same patience and that same uh, wherewithal with me to see me grow in this position and see me be an asset to your life. That's why we're here. And I love this position. I love being here. And that's why I have no problem talking about the role of the pastor. Because I want you to be able to get everything you're going to get out of me. I don't want you to feel cut off. I don't want anyone in this church to feel, you know, well, he, you know, he's up on that layer, and, you know, he's hard to contact and hard to reach and hard to get a hold of. And, you know, he doesn't want to hear that. He doesn't want to be dealt. You know, people already do that with God. Oh, God doesn't care. God, God doesn't. He cared about the problem before you had the problem. And we have a hard time going to God about problems when he, the answer to that problem that we just came up with is in the past. He saw us have the problem, and he's already developed the answer to the problem, and all we need to do is go to him. And I may not have that ability necessarily, but the Holy Spirit does use me in that position to be able to get answers to you and to be able to help bring guidance and help bring direction. But not just in the good stuff, in the stuff that we need to fix too. We all got stuff we need to fix. We all got areas that, man, if I just put that down, I could go to the next level. Man, if I could just learn to be better at this, I could go to the next level. We all want to go to the next level. We all want to grow. And as, as this thing grows and as this church grows, as we become uh, more fixed in our assignment, you're never going to reach a level in your life where you, oh, I've cut it all off. I, you know, I'm cutting stuff off now. I mean, there, you know, it doesn't matter where you get in life. You're always having to obtain to something else. That's the way God designed it. That's the way God wanted it. He's a God of levels. He doesn't just throw it all on you and say, okay, I hope you can handle it. He gives you what you can handle today. And how you handle today prepares you for tomorrow and so on. And so your pastor is there for guidance. Your pastor is there for restoration. Your pastor is there... Uh, to watch over the flock and guard against those that don't have your best interest. Look at this. We'll close with this real quick. Second Timothy chapter 4. Second Timothy chapter 4. And we'll close with this here. This is Paul talking to Timothy. Obviously, we know Paul is uh, sending Timothy to take over the church of Ephesus. So he's mentoring him. He's growing him up. He's showing him what to do. And 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. You know, these pastors that don't want to teach the church and all they want to focus on is being outward and outreach and I want to reach the lost and I want to reach the hurting. That's not what he's assigning to Timothy here. It's not it. There are people that do that. But he's telling him, you've got to convince, you've got to rebuke, 
That's the pastor's assignment. You've got to exhort or encourage, build people up. With all long-suffering, that's with patience, being patient with people, and teaching. You've got, you, as a pastor, you better be able to teach the word. It's good to preach. It's good to get on fire and, and, and get on one thing, but there's a time where you just need to hammer something, and that's what teaching is. You're just hammering home. Preaching is the big picture. Teaching is getting down in there and the nitty-gritty and, and breaking things down, and sometimes you say it three or four times, and sometimes it sounds redundant, but you're teaching and you're getting the word in there. Why? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Well, that sounds a lot like what Paul just said to all the elders at Ephesus. He said, there will come savage wolves that they won't even spare the flock. They're there to attack and take the flock. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. This is Paul's word to Timothy. This is the assignment he's placing on Timothy. Afflictions will come and you endure them. I'll tell you right now, I do not view anybody that I come in contact with based upon past experiences. Have I been hurt? Yes. My wife and I, we have been hurt. But do we hold the hurt? No. In fact, those people that have done that, I'm still believing that they will see the light and come back. And they may not make it right with us specifically, but if they can come back and be effective in the kingdom again, it don't matter. But there have been people that have done us wrong. That happens as pastors. The people, again, don't have the right motives, don't have the right intentions. And when someone comes in here and tries to attack the flock, I take it personal. Because this is the flock that I have been assigned over. I don't pull out and say, well, you know, they didn't say anything about me. If they say it about you, they say it about me. And if they come in here with division, I'll tell you, the enemy's cunning. Nobody's going to come in here and say, hey, you know, I, you know, you got your plate full, I know. And I, I mean, unless God shows me that they're supposed to be a sign to take over something or do something in the church, it ain't happening. It ain't happening. It don't work that way. And we've had people do that. Hey, why don't you go out and do this? Why don't, why don't you just stay focused on this? We'll handle this. No, you want to handle this because you think you're supposed to be something that you're not. And you actually, in essence, are drawing people away from me. And last time I checked, you ain't the pastor. Last time I checked, you don't have the right to be drawing people to you. Because unless you're drawing people to the word anyways, you might as well forget it. Anything I do, any drawing that I have is based on the word. And the one thing you should look for out of me is a response out of the word. If I get it wrong, see me correct it. Give me the opportunity to correct it. If I don't, if I don't, I may not do something perfect every time. I may not say something right every time. I may not handle a situation exactly this perfect. Uh, you know, there may be things later on down the road that, man, you know, I, I wish I could go... I don't sit on that stuff and say, man, I really wish. Move on. Let's just get on past it. Didn't handle it right. You know what? 
That's called grace. That's called the ability to get it right and do it right the next time, and let's drive on with this thing. Amen? None of us here are perfect. But I know this, that I will, that I desire and I will strive to respond from the word every time. Every time. And that's what a pastor is to do. That's the role of the pastor, in a nutshell. That he is to guard the flock, watch over the flock, and watch for those that have come in with evil intentions and wrong motives. He is to restore and correct the flock, continue to guide it, redirect, get in the right path. We saw that last week with restoration, and that's one of the roles and the jobs of the pastor. And then it is the, the role of the pastor is to preach the word and give the word in teaching. In teaching, continue to admonish people and continue to bring things to your... If I only preach on things once and just keep on moving on, then we're not getting it done. Things need to be hit on. Paul, Peter, Jesus, they were, they were all about remembrance. And the Holy Spirit does that too. He brings things to our remembrance. So this is the assignment of the pastor, and this is building the church. And when all these things are working together, man, this church is going to do everything it's supposed to do. I'm excited. 2012 is going to be a great year. I'm telling you right now. We had a new person this morning. I mean, we still haven't got everything done. Everything finished. I haven't even done the huge marketing deal that I want to do in this city. But it's coming. And I want people to come and see a finished product. And I don't mean just what they see here. I want to see people knowing how the church is to operate and we can walk in love. You know, that equipping for the work of ministry. I ain't sending us out into the streets handing out sandwiches and, and you know, going into the you know, low-income housing and helping those people until we get it right here. Because we can go out there and get people in here. If we're just one messed up group that don't even know how to have church and we're just gossiping and talking about everybody that goes to our church, why are they going to stay? What, am I, what are we doing? Okay? So that's what we're doing. We're equipping for ministry. Those things will come. Ministry will take place. Our assignments, they'll come. And I'm excited about getting people when they're fit and finding out where, where their gifts are and where God, the Holy Spirit, wants to place people. I'm excited about that. But we had to learn how to build the church. We had to learn how to put this thing together so it's everything that God wants us to be in this city. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for pastors. We thank you for that role. We thank you for that assignment that is for our profit. It is profitable to us, Father. I thank you that we uh, will hear.